you know, I feel like going on a safari. <laughs> Maybe we need yeah, to put like Lou in one of those colonial helmets. Uh, I think <laughs> it'll be quite a little dapper scene oh. and you guys can have your <laughs> African it? dream moment, you know. I mean, you know we're going to have fully, like, custom matching looks made for that if we come down there, for <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, hello, and thank you for joining me, Pillow Talk, your host of What's the Tease. As the U.S. celebrates Pride this month, I am truly honored to be speaking with my guests today. For this episode of What's the Tease, I'm proud to present the world's show busiest couple, Kitten and Lou. Hello and welcome to the show, guys. Hi, everybody. Hi, thanks for having us. Ah, it is our pleasure, my pleasure in particular, but for everybody listening, they're going to love me all the more for it. So, <laughs> <laughs> for the listeners who are new to Burlesque, this duo comprises of real-life married lesbian couple Kitten LaRue and Lou Henry Hoover. That's us. You both have a background in dance and theater. Kitten, if I may begin with you. Originally from Ruston, Louisiana, you found burlesque whilst living in New Orleans after graduating from college when you saw the Shem Shemets. Was this your first encounter with the art form? And what happened next after your audition with the Shim Sham Review? Yeah, um, that was kind of my first introduction to the art form. I had grew I grew up on old MGM musicals, um, so I was kind of already a little bit into that sort of world of old school glamour. But I just was in the Shim Sham Club one night, and I saw the Shim Shamettes perform, and my mind was blown. And it was really sort of the beginning of the burlesque revival here in New Orleans. But there was a live jazz band and like an, a full costumed spectacle, and it was campy and funny and sexy and weird. And mm -hmm. um, I just fell in love. And then they there was an audition, and I got in the show, and that was really my my first foray into the world. Woo-woo! And Lou, yeah. you moved to uh, Seattle from Boston to pursue a dance career when Waxy Moon asked you to perform in a burlesque show he was choreographing. What was the attraction to burlesque that stood out for you over the contemporary dance style you were already well-versed in? Well, when I began and Waxy asked me to do that show, he's just you just don't say no. If Waxy Moon asks you to do something, the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. So I jumped on board and... I stuck with it because I was really excited about the opportunity to get to perform more frequently. There was a lot of burlesque going on in Seattle at the time, mm -hmm. and in my in my contemporary dance career, I had at that time recently spent a long like year and a half working on one piece, and it was presented at a wonderful theater there called On the Boards, and I got to do it for one weekend, and then that was it. It had no life after after that, and so. I was really excited to be able to get to create an act and get to perform it at a bunch of different venues and, and kind of dig into the actual performance of the work instead of just being in the studio with it and getting to do it once on stage. Awesome. In the words of the 70s song Love Story, originally by Andy Williams and then immortalized by Shirley Bassey, where do I begin to tell the story <laughs> of how great a love can be? So how is your offstage love story entwined with burlesque? 
I mean, it is deeply entwined <laughs> because we our our love story started as a showmance. Mm-hmm. So we we met doing a show together, and we fell in love doing a show together, and then it kind of just went from there. So. Oh, come yeah, on, you're going to have to give us a little bit more than that. <laughs> well, okay, here's, here's, the, here's the tea. Is yeah. we, like, we were in shows together in Seattle for about a year without really talking to each other, even though it was a small cast. We kind of very strangely avoided each other. We both um, talked to everybody else yeah. <laughs> except each other. So it was kind of like on some level we just knew we weren't quite ready for, for what was about to come. Mm-hmm. Um, we were both kind of like in other relationships that were sort of coming to an end and life was complicated and so we sort of just avoided each other. Mm-hmm. And then my burlesque troupe, The Atomic Bombshells, was doing a run in Provincetown, and we needed um, another performer. And I just kind of thought, like, well, what about Lou? Mm-hmm. And so Lou came to Provincetown, which if I rearranged my schedule. <laughs> if you um, are, if you are not familiar, Provincetown is a historically very gay beach town with, okay. that has a thriving theater scene. And so uh, Lou rearranged her schedule, and we went to Provincetown for the next six weeks and did a show there. And um, that is where our love blossomed. Have yeah. love, will travel. <laughs> yeah. Kitten, awesome. Thank you guys for sharing that with us. Truly appreciate yeah. it. And especially at this time of year, I'm a sucker for a good queer love story. Absolutely. Yeah, and I'll never forget that that summer doing that show, like trying to get through my quick changes as fast as I could to go and peek through the curtain and watch Kitten do her act. Like I think we did the show forty times, and I tried to watch it every time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Off of that, actually, before I get into another question, as performers, did you fall in love with the person on stage? first and then like get to know them off stage as well of course being both dancers and in that community well i think everyone who watches lou henry hoover perform falls in love with him immediately Mm -hmm. a little bit so yeah i would say i I did actually fall in love with lou on stage before getting to know the real person yeah Mm -hmm. absolutely I saw one of Kitten's Atomic Bombshell show before I really got to know her at all, and I just remember being really blown away. So it was really, I kind of feel like it was very special to get to know her on and off stage all, all together. The humans live up to the personas. That's really cool. Yeah. And, and vice versa. That is cool. It is. It was. It was cool, and it was, it was also surprising because I feel like some people maybe are more interesting on stage than they are off stage, but I was lucky. I was happy that this was not the case this time. Cute, guys. So, Kitten, you've been referred to as a polished, clever, and glamorous artist by Dizavantes. How would you describe your style of burlesque? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I feel like my style of burlesque is definitely sort of like campy, high film glamour. I think what I kind of try to do is sort of take the idea of performing femininity and blow it up and subvert it. Mm-hmm. Um, Flip it yeah. and reverse it. Flip it and reverse it. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I think in music. 
can I add to that? I think something else really special about Kitten's work is that she has an incredible catalog of music in her brain, and um, she's a very musical performer, and I think that that's a a really amazing special part of it, and she's always like helping other people find the perfect music for their acts. Um, Oh, thanks, Annie. (laughs) awesome and actually I have a question about that because I heard that you've got uh, quite the musical flair so we'll get to that a little bit later no spoilers (laughs) so Lou how did your exploration of drag differ when you presented it as contemporary modern dance choreographer Ricky Mason to appearing as Lou Henry Hoover on a burlesque stage oh yeah that's uh it was kind of a um shifting process like a developing process because I started playing with drag in my work as a contemporary dancer um so I was kind of doing both things at once I was working with another wonderful performer uh who Kitten and I still work with Sheridan Shinatra mm-hmm. and we were we were doing contemporary dance with with drag as a major element and at the same time I had started working in the burlesque world as Lou and so I for a little while I kind of had like two a little bit two versions of Lou going I mean they were very very related because all the movement vocabulary is my own and it's Mm -hmm. it's all me but as I kept going those two things sort of merged I think the biggest difference between the two when I started is I feel like Lou in my contemporary dance world was like in his 40s and my Lou in the burlesque world was like in his 20s <laughs> <laughs> it all kind of it all kind of merged at some point <laughs> uh, brilliant what I love about Lou Henry Hoover character is that yeah he does kind of have that more seasoned gentleman kind of vibe but energetically (laughs) it's like a teenager 18 year old finding the world discovering girls for the first time (laughs) oh i love that description thank you lewis 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 timeless indeed As Kitten and Lou, your performances are known for being highly choreographed comedic camp extravaganzas incorporating drag, dance, burlesque, and theater. In your opinion, what is the relationship between the arts of drag and burlesque? Oh, I think that they have always sort of overlapped. I mean, if you go back to the earliest days of burlesque, they were playing with gender norms and gender expression. And if you go back to the earliest days of drag, they were playing with um, the idea of performing femininity and masculinity and performing with exaggeration. And yeah, I think the elements have have always sort of overlapped a little bit. Yeah, I think that there is, there's tons of overlap and in the best scenarios, that's just very much embraced. I think that the only, only time burlesque and drag don't don't get along beautifully it's it's about it's about some other kinds of exclusion so I think that there's naturally tons of overlap yeah I mean if you look at the old videos of what we call quote unquote classic burlesque from the the golden age of the 40s and 50s 30s through the 50s um, I mean even just the, the classic women performing burlesque it's they are performing a, an idealized hyper feminized exaggerated version of what of what womanhood and femininity is which I mean really is drag Mm -hmm. Lou you've presented acts in both male and female drag 
when creating Kitten and Lou, you opted for your boy drag persona to play the significant other to Kitten. Did you intentionally aim to portray a more camping-natured male figure in a seemingly heterosexual relationship on stage? That is a good question. I definitely... We definitely were um, playing with the trope of this like classic, classic heterosexual couple and the ways in which reclaiming that and and living within that Mm -hmm. um, to to subvert that norm. Mm -hmm. And I also there's just something about the classic butch femme dynamic that we're playing with as well, which is very queer. Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of is kind of what we're about. Is sort of we we take this sort of uh, classic Fred and Ginger trope, you know, mm-hmm. from from like old Hollywood, and then just queer the crap out of it. And um, we found that it's really interesting to watch how audiences respond to that because uh, queer people view it as inherently queer, really. You know, mm-hmm. that we're like this this like lesbian couple who are playing with the, these ideas of, of butch and femme but also but also drag and then you know we'll have like 65 year old straight people in the audience who are delighted and charmed because on the surface we feel we seem like a very recognizable trope to them as well right mm-hmm. we're like Fred and Ginger we're mm-hmm. we're all the you know the classic Hollywood sort of duo and they see a lot of like Charlie Chaplin and Lou and and Margaret and me and then we sort of get them in right we grab them with that and mm-hmm. then by the end of it they are kind of forced to confront our queerness awesome That kind of also answers my next question, which was how do you both play with your respective gender roles by, of course, obviously disrupting the social norm? Good. So, tick. That one's done. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and you know, I'll just add a little bit, which is that when Kitten and I started working together, it it wasn't like we got together and then I was like, huh, should I do girl drag or boy drag in this duo? I was really primarily working uh, in boy drag and so that question kind of never came up mm-hmm. but we do but even together we have done a few things where we're both in girl drag just as the as the occasion calls for or as inspiration calls for like when we were getting married we decided to perform at our own bachelorette party so we made an act where we were both like very girly matching bachelorettes <laughs> oh that must have been fun <laughs> yeah and of course we are that couple that would actually perform at our own bachelorette party of course <laughs> <laughs> yeah i saw the video of that you so graciously posted on youtube at your wedding and i was just like wedding eleganza extravaganza <laughs> very aptly named what's funny though is that 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 kind of got went viral out of our hands because the uk daily mail picked up our wedding video and did a spot did a spot on it and that's sort of how it started really making the rounds um and you know so now we kind of joke that our wedding is way more famous than we are (laughs) (laughs) anyway Back to burlesque. <laughs> Kitten, as the founder and director of the Atomic Bombshells and a pioneer of the burlesque scene in Seattle, I believe you have a flair for choosing the soundtracks to many of your productions, like Lost in Space and Camtacular. For myself as a DJ and sound engineer, I'm interested in what you look for in a track to help you narrate a storyline. 
Yeah, um, so I, I uh, definitely am like a deep music nerd. My father is a musician. I have played in many bands myself. And so music to me is really the heart of of it and so important. So I basically look just look for uh, music that helps tell the story and supports the story. And that's really the most important thing to me. And so when I'm building a show and creating a world, I just kind of think about like, well, what does this world sound like? Mm-hmm. And I go from there. So are you more like a groove person or a lyric person? Definitely more of the sound. I feel like lyrics can help support the story of an act, but um, really uh, the act itself should tell the story. So I feel like it's not necessarily essential to rely on the lyrics. But sometimes those two things collide beautifully and Mm -hmm. that's great too and then of course do you have a spotify playlist that we can follow oh i have so many spotify playlists awesome (laughs) um yeah they're and they're all very very specifically themed you know (laughs) girl you and i need to sit down and exchange (laughs) i know (laughs) everybody always kind of looks at my uh the way i categorize my playlist and they struggle to understand it but like for me it's very much (laughs) if i've gotten music from a specific person it's categorized under that person's name because i i know exactly what they like and what they listen to and what moves yeah. them, you know so it's like my little secret kind of bibliography that no one else understands. oh exactly yeah <laughs> i love that yeah i mean music is its own language for sure cool having major names as seattle-based burlesque performers why the move to new orleans well this is my hometown i'm from here my dad is here my sister's here my little nieces are here uh, i've always had a deep deep love for the city and knew that I would return to it at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we, we still have, we still have our roots in Seattle as well. So we've, we've sort of been tri-coastal for the last six years. We've, uh, bopped around between Seattle, New York and New Orleans, and as well as just touring constantly too. Uh, but sort of COVID sort of forced us to stay put for a year. And this is the first time we have not been on, on an airplane every two weeks in a long time. So it kind of gave us the opportunity to um, really start building more of a creative foundation here in New Orleans. And we got to garden and Mm -hmm. (laughs) actually hang out, hang out in our house for a little while. It's, it's been nice, but we are, of course, already now that the world is opening back up again, starting to get that itch and put dates on the calendar for our other homes as well cool so we'll be back in seattle before you know it <laughs> yeah, we will. It, it was very uh very quickly into our dating life that kitten informed me that she would ultimately have to have a return to new orleans and mm-hmm. so we we uh we're working towards that pretty pretty quickly once we got together yeah all right awesome as a power couple in the burlesque industry both performing and producing shows who takes on what tasks in the process of creating acts and shows that is a really great question um we are both really hands-on about all of it it's really truly is a collaborative effort but out there's definitely certain things that we kind of lean harder into individually. I'd say that I often am the ideas in terms of creating the overall concept and the music 
and um, stuff like that. And then Lou uh, obviously really, really gets into the choreography pretty deeply and starts sketching out the movement vocabulary for a show. But we're, we really are both hands-on all of it. Yeah, we definitely both, we don't do anything that we both haven't agreed on. We don't like delegate in terms of you make these decisions and I make these decisions. We mm-hmm. we uh, agree on, <laughs> we don't always agree, but we get to, yeah, we, we come, come to an agreement, to an agreement. <laughs> on, on every decision, which I think is, is part of the magic of collaborating where what we make together is not something either of us would be able to make on their own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Sweet. And then, you know, so, so one of my sort of favorite collaborative moments was when we were making our our cowboy act and Kitten had chose, she had two music options and she was like, oh, I just cannot decide which of these two. And so I went in the studio and I made like a minute of choreography to each of them and then she came in and I like auditioned the two, <laughs> the two versions of the act for her and we decided from yeah. there. <laughs> uh, brilliant. Hey, that's pretty handy to have. <laughs> live demonstration when you're in a conundrum (laughs) (laughs) i recall seeing you perform for the first time in 2013 at the new york burlesque festival your last dance act and then in 2019 again and each time just being blown away by how polished and well executed your routines are obviously in 2014 you were crowned most comedic at behoff and then in 2015, you were voted as the number one most influential artist on the 21st century burlesque top 50 poll. How was performance life different for you guys before and after the rise of burlesque's sweethearts? <laughs> um, it's, it's really been interesting because I, I had been, you know, working in burlesque for a while before Kitten and Lou were born as a thing. And 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 it was you know i had already had like a lot of success but it's just kind of a it was just a different thing performing at the new york burlesque festival in 2013 it kind of felt like our official debut as kitten and lou we had sort of done some stuff together Mm -hmm. uh, here and there but that really felt like okay this is the first time we're performing like at a festival for all of our peers as a duo and I, I just know, remember some people being like, where the hell did y'all come from? Because uh-huh. we had kind of <laughs> done our own thing individually for a while and then created this duo. But it was really cool. And that was kind of, honestly, the New York Burlesque Festival, that was kind of what launched our career as a duo because um, Betty Blackheart, who is an amazing um, Helsinki-based performer and producer that we love dearly, she had saw us for the first time at that festival and she was like oh my god i love y'all we i have got to book you guys for my festival Mm -hmm. and then so she booked us for her festival and then it just kind of led one thing led to another and then we all of a sudden were like oh cool now we're just on tour all the time this is amazing and then when we were voted the number one on the burlesque top 50 i mean we were truly shocked like what Mm -hmm. and it's kind of it was a funny it was kind of a funny story because we were in we were performing in Australia when that was announced at a French festival and we had literally just done our evening length show like Mm -hmm. this just the two of us in Melbourne yeah overexposed we had just performed it in Melbourne in a tiny little cabaret space for two people 
and so literally she people like like asking about this moment it's like it's like it changed everything and nothing yeah. like we were in melbourne we had done this we had done some sold out wonderful shows, and then literally we did the yeah. show with two people on. It's like it cost us money to pay the yeah. sound guy, and then we it was woke a up real, in the morning. Yeah, yeah, it was a real like <laughs> we were totally having like an existential crisis. Like, what are we doing with our life? We literally just like paid money to do this show, even though I mean, again, we had had wonderful shows before that. But you know, you just have that you just have that one bad show, and you're like, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> And um, we had, were totally having that feeling. And then we woke up the next morning and our phones were exploding because mm-hmm. of the time difference. It had already been announced like eight hours earlier mm-hmm. in the States. And we were like, what is happening? Did somebody die? And <laughs> then we got we got the news, you know, after we were literally like, should we just quit and get work at a coffee shop? <laughs> we got that news and it was just so sweet. It was so sweet. And it was also kind of like, isn't that showbiz for you? Mm-hmm. You know, where you'd like do a, do a show for two people and are named the number one in the world all in the same day. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. <laughs> Kitten and Lou performances are stories with a whole lot packed into a five-minute routine. How does that compare with telling the story in your evening link duets, such as Overexposed and Holier Than Thou? Well, the both of those shows are full. They have a overarching story for the full hour, and then it's full of acts with these small stories within it. So, mm. yeah, it's sort of an interesting... Thing where we've we've like applied the storytelling on these small scales and a and a greater scale at the same time, mm-hmm. um, and then of course in our in our longer shows there's a script so the storytelling gets a little bit more literal with a full with like a full as hour in speaking parts. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So in Overexposed, we we were, that was our first evening length show, and we were still kind of committed to the idea of Kitten and Lou sort of being these like mimes, you know, who don't mm-hmm. really speak. And so we um, solved that problem by having a narrator who who talked to us and for us, and we sort of responded to the narrator. Mm-hmm. So the narrator was kind of like, "This is Kitten and Lou, and I'm telling their story." Da 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 da. Um, and then for holier than now, we kind of cracked that open a little bit, and I started speaking back to a narrator, and it was sort of an exchange. And whereas Lou, Lou is kind of, I think not exclusively, but generally a mime character. Yeah, it's kind of I've, the language you speak in. Yeah, I've played with a few a few versions of like lips, like having someone else record a voice for me that I lip sync, and I do have a few things where I speak occasionally, but generally I prefer to to stick with mime. Um, but then, then our other shows, we we sort of crack that wide open, like our evening length shows that we do with a full cast. So for Jingle All the Gay, which is our big holiday show, I am a full speaking character through the whole show. But we did sort of save this device of Lou being a mime until the very end. You get to hear Lou's voice, and it's a really everybody in the audience just like bursts into tears, basically. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm singing to our, our adopted yeah, daughter, so true. it's a moment. 
Brilliant. <laughs> Y'all are known as the world's show busiest couple for a very good reason, as not only do you manage your successful individual careers as performing artists, your duet act, but you guys also produce seasonal productions. Can you tell us a little bit more about some of them? Yeah, so um, some of our shows that we do are like full scale, 10 to 13 person casts, almost musical theater productions. Um, one of which is our annual holiday show that we've been doing in Seattle um, for years, Jingle All the Gay, which was known as Homo for the Holidays for a while, and it, we uh, gave it a reboot a couple of years ago. And that is uh, singing and dancing and drag and burlesque, a uh, queer holiday spectacle um, with incredible performers, not only Seattle-based, we, we bring in performers from a lot of different places to be in that show. Mr. Gorgeous from New York is in that show. Lola Vanella mm -hmm. is in that show. Um, Willie LeCue from Chicago is in that show. We've had Joe Black from the UK mm -hmm. uh, perform in that show. And that's really, you know, one of our, one of the biggest things that we do every year and we love it. And we were sad to not do it this year, but we did create an online version for people who can watch it from all over the world. It's one of our great passions to do these shows that are not, it's not a typical cabaret show where we're using content created by the performers. Rather, we write the whole show and create the acts and uh, collaborate with the performers on, on their actual characters and, and performance within the show. So Jingle, on the Gay, Jingle All the Gay, we're all on stage for a lot of the show. There's a lot of group acts and and uh, a full script to tell the story throughout the throughout the show. Cool. It's been one of my dreams to be able to see one of those productions actually in real life. So hopefully yes. that's going to happen yeah, in the next couple of years, for sure. That would be <laughs> fabulous. Um, as a couple who work together on and off stage, you're accustomed to being in each other's company, like pretty much 24-7. Was there any differences <laughs> in how you approached your professional relationship when working under quarantine restrictions? Oh, wow. Well, um, you, uh, some of you may have gotten to see some of the wacky stuff we created under quarantine. We, we quickly pivoted and figured out how to use video as a medium and edit and shoot all by ourselves. And so we, we made like several, like four, th four, four or five quarantine videos, mm -hmm. um, which were really fun and helped, helped us, you know, like find a pressure valve for our creativity. It's really different when you're just it's just the two of you nonstop for a year. Yeah, when the when the quarantine began, I felt like, oh, we're so uniquely equipped to handle this because we are already together all the time. It's true. It's true. <laughs> but then we quickly were like, oh, but also we talked to other people before. <laughs> and now we're just talking to each other. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there's nobody on earth I would rather be stuck in a house with for a year, that's for sure. But it definitely could get intense. And um, being a couple and trying to learn how to use a new medium to express yourselves is a whole other level of like f pressure and frustration and, and Ultimately, like it was very gratifying, and we're really proud of what we made. But woo, it was it. There was a learning curve. Yeah, mm -hmm. we definitely had some very funny moments where Kitten would be like, 
well, why can't you do this with the video? And I was like, why do you think I know how to do anything with the video? <laughs> like, I don't know. I, we're just figuring it out. <laughs> and then, of course, our time expectations where we'd yeah. get in drag and be like, all right, we're going to film this in two hours. And then, you know, eight hours yeah. later eight at hours four in later. the morning, we're still just like trying to move our little clip lamps around to light a shot. I <laughs> know. Uh, I mean, throughout this pandemic, the quarantine and lockdown levels, y'all have kept your art alive by creating these most memorable videos. I've enjoyed every single one of them and has given me life throughout that quarantine time. You also mm-hmm. created the Chanting Hell snowballs pop up on your front porch. Then you did the Living Nativity Miracles of Mars merriment in your backyard. What has this time meant for you and how you think about putting your art out into the world? That is a really great question. Um, It's really been, I mean, obviously COVID has been a total horror show in many ways. And, you know, we've been like mourning the loss of our career overnight and, you know, worrying about money and missing all of our people and our show family. It's been that. And also it's been kind of a special weird gift that we've been able to take a breath and be still for a moment and figure out new interesting ways to express ourselves. And the nativity that we did here in New Orleans was really, really cool because we took what was an obstacle, which was A, we were all had to be masked, right? Because this Mm -hmm. was deep, deep in it. Um, We could only have, we had to be outdoors. We would only let like 20 people, 20 audience members come see it at a time. We couldn't speak or sing live because at that, you know, we didn't want to open our mouths. Mm -hmm. So we took all of these restrictions and somehow turned it into pure magic because we were able to make this sort of pantomime in the classic sense of the word happen. And it was kind of like the masks, instead of inhibiting the telling of the story, it became like a really interesting, cool, surreal element. Yeah, Kitten wrote a script, and then we had each of our performers come in individually and record their lines. Mm -hmm. And then we put it all together into a track so that we were pantomiming to our own voices Mm -hmm. um, throughout the performance. And it it ended up just being like really magical and surreal, and we still have audience members come up to us with tears in their eyes saying that that saved their whole holiday and made it feel still feel really special and cool and I mean that just really means a lot and so I just feel like this time this past year in general has been a sort of a gift in us being forced to test our boundaries and test the limits of what we can achieve and test the limits of how we can be creative and how we can express ourselves and and um yeah as you mentioned we started a snowball pop-up on our front porch which originally just started as like a fun little hobby to kind of keep ourselves busy and sort of get to do something nice for our neighbors um and it just kind of blew the f up and now it's (laughs) it's like you know we're like getting written up by food blogs and stuff and we have like a huge fan base and that's been really special and magical too and and also it's nice to remember like okay we can be good at more than one thing that's good to remember Mm -hmm. yeah snowballs are for people who don't know they're a special new orleans treat a lot of places have a version of this but it's it's syrup poured over shaved ice but the new orleans version is very very fine shaved ice 
And so, and it's a cultural institution. Yes. Like snowballs are beloved in New Orleans, and it's it, people even call this snowball season. So it's like this is Mardi Gras season, and these months are snowball season. It's a huge deal here. And mm-hmm. so there's it being such a big deal, and getting to sort of make these treats and serve them off our porch. We we got to just have these moments where we were felt like oh we're still just bringing people joy, and that's that's so similar to performing and um so it's very sweet to to get to kind of have another facet of something that at its root feels feels like it has a lot of overlap yeah wow guys i think y'all are magic i just want to say that (laughs) (laughs) thank you thank you i mean that honestly i'm not trying to you know i I am i'm gushing yes it's 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 out there (laughs) it's happening we don't mind gushing and when it's done in that incredible accent you have really i could listen to it all day long (laughs) <laughs> I could I could sit here and ask questions all day and just actually, you know, just about anything. So what's your favorite color? Yeah. <laughs> so feelings mutual. I know I've only covered a fraction of your illustrious careers thus far, but please let the people know where and how they can continue to follow and support your work. Yeah, just um, follow us at uh, kittenandlou.com or follow us on Instagram is where we're at, we're at mostly these days, uh, at kittenandlou. Um, we have all kinds of exci- exciting stuff coming up in the works. We are doing producing some new monthly shows in New Orleans, and we are beginning to plot some more big stuff in Seattle coming up in the next year. And um, and yeah. we've been hosting bingo, drag oh, yeah. bingo in our backyard. We've been hosting been a, drag, a drag bingo, Kitten and Lou's Bywater Backyard Bingo in our backyard, which has been amazing too. <laughs> I must say that looks like so <laughs> much fun. They're going to have to put that on the tourist um, flyer or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Kitten and Lou, for joining myself, Pillar Talk, on this episode of What's the Tease. Y'all have been amazing. Thank you. Thank you, thank Pillow you. Talk. It's been so fun.